Welcome to the Stories Told Podcast. This is episode 39. Timely Renslayer Minutes. Oh my. This is the Stories Told Podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books. I'm Michael Grayford. I write action adventure stories in fantasy and sci fi worlds sometimes for younger readers and sometimes for adults. And I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor. And I am author E.W. Barnes, and I write action-adventure time travel novels and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds. But be forewarned, beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. And welcome back to the Stories Told podcast. I'm author E.W. Barnes, and with me is author Michael Grayford. And today we're talking about the story told in Loki, Season 2, Episode 3, 1893. How are you doing today, Mike? I am doing great. Just coming off of uh, Halloween night. Had, had, had some fun last night. Um, and I'm awake now, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing very well. We had a good night as well. Lots and lots of trick-or-treaters. It was a fun night. So what's uh, new in your writing world? In my writing world, I think last week I talked about writing a horror short story for a local critique group yep. that we do every year. So I did that. I wrote a short story. And other than that, I'm still in learning mode for ad doing ads. In particular, Amazon ads, checking out different videos and going through Amazon's little, I don't know if you'd call it a course, but you know, the little videos they have explaining how it works through there. So I'm just doing that, sort of ramping up to get ready to do some of my own ads. Yeah, that's where I am. And you have both the Golden Scarab of Balahar, which is available on Amazon. Uh, for purchase. You also have the second book uh, out on Kindle or parts of the second book out on Kindle. Is that right? On Vela? Excuse me. On Vela? No, not yet. I'm, I'm still writing it. I'll prob- I was thinking of releasing episodes on Vela sort of as I wrote them. But as I was writing the story, I'm like, ah, there's probably too much <laughs> that's going to change. I'll have to go back and edit the previous chapters. It's not... You know, it's not, it's easy to edit things on Vela, but apparently Amazon doesn't really like when you change too much. So I'm going to wait till I do a full pass on the story first and make sure everything's consistent uh, throughout. And then I'll start posting it on Vela. I'm about a quarter of the way through the story in terms of actual writing it. And is there some place that uh, someone could go find that uh, Halloween short story? Or is that just for your writing critique group? Oh, yeah. No, it's just for the writing critique group. We've talked about before about maybe compiling them into like an anthology or something like that uh, and publishing them at some point. But right now, no, it's just it's just just for fun. We do locally and then we just, you know, we review each other's works just to get us to flex a different muscle because I don't I don't really write short stories. So it's it's very awkward for me. It's very difficult to write a short story. I tend to want to write something long, <laughs> flesh out the characters and 
have more time with the plot and things like that. So my short stories tend to be very short. I'm like, here's the idea, and it's like a thousand words or less. It's very quick. But yeah, no, it's just it's just for us. We don't have them. We may publish it someday, but not right now. Okay, then I have to ask, what's it about? What did you write? Oh, this is a really short story about uh, a, a guy who's putting his daughter to bed, and she's afraid that there's a monster under the bed. And of course, there is a monster under the bed, <laughs> and how that plays out. All right, very good. Good for you. Thanks. And what about you? What, what is going on in your writing world? I am I'm still working on that chapter in Ecliptic, which is the second book in the science fiction series I'm writing, The Adventures of the Imperian Guard. It's the, it's the B story, and it's not as well fleshed out in my head as the A story is. So I have been working on this chapter a little longer than I expected I would be. Uh, but I think I know where I'm going, and I expect to finish it today. So then that chapter will be uploaded onto Patreon. And... Um, there are also more audiobook chapters for the third book in my time travel series. I completed some of those, so those are available on YouTube. And of course, uh, for our listeners, The Adventures of the Imperian Guard, the first book and chapters of the second book as they're written, are all available to read on Patreon. And The Tales of Zara, which the first book is available, Golden um, Scare of Ballyhar is available on Amazon, and those audiobook chapters are available on YouTube, and all those links should be in the show notes. Excellent. And what interesting stories have you come across lately in books or movies or television? Okay, since it's, well, I mean, for, for the listener, it won't be Halloween, but for us, it was just Halloween. <laughs> so I'll mention a couple of movies I watched um, leading up to Halloween. The first was Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel to Stephen King's The Shining. Oh, I, my understanding is he the, it's based off of a book as well. Like he wrote the book and then they made a movie off of it, obviously, because you know it's a Stephen King story, so they have to make a movie off of it. <laughs> but it felt like a, a pretty good sequel to the first story. It continues. It has actually has some scenes recreated from the first movie with different act, you know, with the actors that they use in this movie. So it's kind of neat. Uh, just like snippets of kind of flashing back to here's what happened back in the shining. Right. And then the bulk of the story takes place sort of present day, I guess, or later when the child in the shining is grown up and he is sort of dealing with the effects of, you know, this ability that he has, and they learn that other people have this ability. Anyway, it's a whole different plot line that goes off of the original story. But it's cool. It's pretty good. I actually, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was really good. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the original Shining. I know it's like a hugely popular story, like a lot of people's favorite horror type story. It wasn't my thing. I I didn't dislike The Shining. I, th I thought it was fine, <laughs> but it didn't really blow me away. I, I wasn't particularly scared. I didn't find it all that thrilling. It was just more like an interesting story. So th this one actually I found more interesting. Um, it also wasn't scary, really. It was more like a paranormal thriller type story, something like that. But it kind of wraps back into The Shining in a cool way. And it's got, it expands on that universe a bit. 
but I liked it. It was two and a half hours long, which was probably a little too long, <laughs> but it worked pretty well. And the other movie I saw was called The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which you also liked. It was, I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I thought it was going to be like some demon possession thing or something, which it, it wasn't. Um, it's a story about, there's this, it starts off with this crime scene where these, I guess they're gangsters or something like that. You know, these criminals, um, they've been killed and in these different gruesome ways, they're trying, cops trying to figure out what's going on. And they find this dead woman's body, like in the basement, like half buried in the dirt. And it seems so incongruous with the rest of the scene. She seems to be unharmed, but she's dead. So they don't really know what's going on. So anyway, they take her to be examined, you know, have an autopsy done. And there's a guy there doing the autopsy, and he's with his son. And they're kind of trying to figure out, piece together what happened to this person. And they start seeing internal signs of damage to this woman, but no outward evidence of it like her wrists are broken her ankles are broken but there's no bruising or anything on the outside so there's like all these mysteries that (laughs) that they're encountering as they're going and then paranormal things start happening so it's pretty cool it's an interesting story and it's definitely like horror story in terms of where it goes uh in terms of paranormal and things like that so yeah those two i thought they were pretty good i enjoyed both of them and what about you what stories have you encountered? We finished Stranger Things and we finished Wednesday. And of the two, I prefer Wednesday. That's just more my speed. Stranger Things yeah. is really, it had some science fiction elements to it, but not really. It was a horror show. It was really all about horror. And that's just not my thing. Yeah. So glad I finished it. I'm glad I watched that first season. Not really interested in moving forward on it. And Wednesday was fun. <laughs> Watching it again the yeah. second time, the the plot held together, the story held together. There were a couple of things that didn't quite make sense, but it, it still worked. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Yeah, I agree with Wednesday. I, it's entertaining. It's enjoyable. Like you said, there's a few things that I'm like, ah, eh, it doesn't quite fit together here. But <laughs> yeah. Are you ready to talk about Loki? I am. Today we're talking about the story told in Loki, Season 2, Episode 3, 1893. And I will read the very, very short little summary synopsis that you can find when you type in Loki Season 2, Episode 3 into Google. Loki and Mobius go on the hunt to find everyone's favorite cartoon clock as they try to save the TPA. So what did you think of this episode, Mike? Yeah, la- last episode we talked about, uh, or I talked about, I was kind of like too much going on. I felt a little unfocused to me. I, th- I think for me, this one was a lot better. I was kind of going along with them from the beginning. I like how it played out. I loved the, the He Who Remains show that he did from 1968. <laughs> Back then is... This weird and sort of wonderful, crazy thing that was going on. I love how he gets the TVA handbook. And this sort of ends up becoming a guiding focus toward his life. I thought that was cleverly done. 
And I like, I like that they showed some growth for Sylvie. She's like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill him this time. <laughs> we're gonna see where this plays out. So I like that. Um, they were able to influence her, and I liked how there was sort of this conflict or jealousy with Miss Minutes and Renslayer. <laughs> I thought that was funny because she's been there, you know, for. We don't really know how long. For ages, apparently, she was, you know, Miss Minutes was with He Who Remains, right? So she's sort of attached, like a, a jealous puppy or something. <laughs> this this AI. I like what they. I like how they played with her. It's like, you know, that's she's this obvious this thing that stands out in the world, right? Especially back in time, where the like, oh, there's this ghost clock that's there. How weird is that? And they're like, well, you don't really fit in. And then she changes to like this black and white simpler version of her <laughs> i thought that was funny yeah there's, there's a lot of cool things in this episode that i liked i liked again continuing the, the relationship between the characters ouroboros is back and fun again yeah i i thought this episode for me was much better i thought it flowed better it was you know equally i think they do a good job of keeping them entertaining the, they're fairly consistent from that perspective blending the humor with the drama and with you know the tension of things going wrong and what are we going to do next and all that stuff i like that we see some more background with the he who remains character though i'm i'm a little confused like which like is this version of he who remains like how does he relate to the one we saw before and like why this one i mean i guess the one that we saw, you know, in the original, or in the first series, the first season, he obviously knows about this one, right? So it's like maybe this is the the least violent and power hungry of the of the other variants variations of him that are out there, and that's why he chose this one. But also, is like, is this one in our our Earth of the universe? I I guess so, right? Because he's on the sacred timeline. But then that's kind of weird because if he's on the sacred timeline, wouldn't the he who remains who we saw on the first season, wouldn't he have been from the sacred timeline? Yeah, so I'm I'm a little confused as to like how he relates to the to the one we saw. But I like the background. I, I like that the actor played the character so differently from the super confident one we saw before. Yeah, I thought there's a lot it's like very interesting very you do a great job of of keeping you on your toes in the show and keeping things off balance and off kilter yes so yeah anyway yes i i like this episode a lot of little things like that but i'm curious to see what are your thoughts on this episode i enjoyed this episode as well though i still found it a little confusing i really enjoyed the fact that we were catching up with Renslayer and Miss Minutes from the get-go. We got to see what she was doing, what, where she was going, because we, we we saw her in the first episode, and then she vanished. I almost kind of wish they had taken elements of this episode and elements of the previous episode and mixed them up, and almost, you know, had a little mini arc between the two episodes. I think that would have made both of them maybe flow a little better. I, I was really excited to see her and see what she was up to, and see where Miss Minutes were. And, and you got the feeling initially that they were on their own mission of good. And then towards the end, it didn't feel like that anymore. And I, I was still trying to pinpoint where I felt like it was 
a mission of bad. And I think it's when Miss Minutes yeah. dumped Renslayer and then Renslayer came back during Miss Minutes' little psychopathic rant about wanting a body. That's when, like, like, for me, the feeling of what they were doing shifted and it was no longer something that in their mind was a good thing to do. And it was like, no, they know this is not a good thing to do. So I, I really enjoyed that because, you know, usually when you have, when you're presenting your counterpart to your protagonist, whether it's a villain or not, maybe a villain because of their actions, but they don't consider themselves villains. That's what I thought was happening at the beginning of the episode. And then it twisted. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, maybe they think they're villains and they know they're villains and they're, you know, they know they're against the protect. Anyway, it was really interesting. I agree that timely character was very fascinating. And, and I agree. I was, I thought the same thing. The fact that they, that the actor made this character so different than he who remains uh, about like where he fits on the timeline, you know, he who remains could have come from any timeline at the end of time. At, he's at right at yeah, the end of true. all timelines, right? So he could have been from any dimension, timeline. I don't know. So I think it worked for me. It was okay. It worked for me that this timely was in the sacred timeline that was on our Earth. I think that worked okay. But it really begs the question. How important is this guy? I mean, we know he's important to the TVA right yeah. now because they yeah. need his temporal aura to fix the loom. But why did Renslayer and Miss Minutes go find him? What difference does it make if this guy is in existence or not? And so that's no. what I think is really at the foundation of that, that I really want to know. Why is this guy so important? I mean, yeah, he, said he created TVA, but... That's been created, so why go back and get him again? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Like, because I was thinking the, you know, from He Who Remains, sort of battle among him and his variants were people in the future who had lots of technology and lots of understanding of the universe and lots of power and lots of knowledge about how things work. And here's this guy back in the day who's just, you know, messing around with like, Edison and Tesla era level technology. It's like, what is he going to do? He doesn't, he's obviously wouldn't on his own rise to become a multiversal player. Right. So it, it does open that question. It also makes me wonder, like you said, when Renslayer gets booted out on the little boat, is, is this actually he who remains plan? Or is it is Miss Minutes kind of going rogue and doing something on her own here? Or both. For her own... Yeah, or is it some combination of things? Yeah. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't know. I also thought using Miss Minutes as a ghost to distract from what was going on, taking advantage of sort of the supernatural or the superstitious is the word I'm looking for, the superstition of the local people was a little bit of a cynical act on the part of Renslayer and Miss Minutes. Really interesting to me that that they would that was the choice they would make in order to get out of whatever the issue was. They they hold a tempad. They hold all kinds of things, and that's how they choose to distract people. I, I that was really really interesting, and I was wondering how that might play out, or if that's just like a little thing that they built in. For fun. Because it was fun, like watching her go sepia colored to fit within with the time. That was fun. 
I also really enjoyed how, like you said, Sylvie had some character change. She didn't kill Renslayer, even though she could have. But in a way, she kind of did. She sent her to the end of time, which is where they wanted to send Sylvie when they pruned her. And so I thought that was an interesting choice. That was probably, to me, one of the best moments in the whole episode was that twist of sending her to the end of time into He Who Remains Castle, where his moldering corpse lies after Sylvie killed him. Which is interesting. How well, how does time pass at the end of time? You know, so it's sort of like... Yeah, he's been there for a while, right? <laughs> I thought that was one of the best parts of the episode. And then I really liked how you really got to see that Miss Minutes is just not a nice character. When she said, I know a secret and it's going to make you really mad. You know, she, her, her true nature is coming out. And you saw that a little bit in season one where she was a little bit sadistic. <laughs> and it's coming out a lot more now. <laughs> I liked her backstory. I liked Miss Bennett's backstory. I liked, you know, we got to see more layers of these characters. Oh, yeah. To some degree. Mobius and Loki were the least layer-revealing elements in this particular episode. Yeah. But that was, I actually enjoyed that. So I, I didn't think there was any, any real problem with that. Yeah, I agree. It, it was, the focus shifted off of them a bit, right? Yeah. So was there anything that you would have done differently in this episode? There's some questions I had. Again, it's kind of like we mentioned in the in the first episode of the season where there's things where I'm wondering about like how this works or where this goes. And it's like, it could be they set these up well, or it could be an issue if it doesn't get explained later, maybe, you know, or if they contradict themselves. But it's hard to say without knowing where they're going. The one thing I wondered was at the end, right, when Miss Minutes, or not Miss Minutes, uh, Sylvie puts Renslayer there at the end of time, right? So she just opened a door there. Does that mean that they could have done that, like anybody could have done that before? It seemed like that wasn't the case. So did Sylvie, like, modify her tempad to be able to do that or... Because she was already there, she had some kind of lock on that location or something. Like, that seemed like a plot hole. Like, they opened, right, from before. There was no one going back and forth to that location before, and there was no indication that they could do that. But maybe because she was there and she opened a door from there, she now had a a lock on that. I, I don't know. So anyway, that was just something that made me wonder, like, oh, wait, if they could just go back and forth here all the time now, that changes everything. So so it's it's interesting to see if they're going to use that again. Like, now that Renslayer's there, does she ever tempad? Can she just tempad out of there? Presumably she could if she has Well, it. didn't Sylvie take he who remains tempad? Oh, I don't... Is that what happened? I don't remember. I don't that. know. I know that's what she used to send Loki back. Did she take oh, it? Oh, then, yeah. Then that's probably... Probably, yeah. Probably she had it then. So she just used that to go wherever she wanted. That would make sense. Which also then answers the question I have, which is how the heck did she find this timely variant? But maybe sh- the temp had, I would, I would guess, I don't think there's any real evidence of this, but I would guess that he who remains temp had is going to be like a master temp had, like a master key. And so have characteristics or qualities that are going to be slightly more advanced than everybody else's temp had. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just guessing. Yeah. No, that's, but that brings up another point that I had too, was like, how, how does she get there? Like not like 
how did she get there? But how, how did she know where they were at that time? Because we saw them investigating. So I guess we just, you know, it's implied that she can do the same thing. And she's like, okay, you know, I'm tracking these people. This is where they went. And I just go there after them. I, I guess that's reasonable as well. Yeah. Let me think. Is there anything I would change? I didn't, I don't think I noticed anything as I was watching it. Probably, you know, this, <laughs> I think as we've seen with like these first three episodes, it's probably one of those cases where you have to go through it again because there's a lot going on to see like, okay, does this all make sense? Is this connected right? Are they setting it up well? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything else, at least nothing that I've written down. If you say something, maybe it'll spark something in my head. What about, what about you? Is there, are there things that you're like, oh, I would have changed this. I would have done this differently. Well, and you know, I already kind of mentioned what I think I might have done. I think I might have combined elements of the last two episodes together and had different scenes that moved these arcs forward. Because again, I kind of lost the mission about halfway through this. Why are we here again? Oh, right. They're trying to find Miss Minutes because she knows everything about the TVA so she can fix the loom. But that part got lost a little bit because we started off with Renslayer giving the TVA handbook to timely so then it, i you know i was headed off in a different direction and then when loki and Moby show up I'm like why are they here again maybe i'm just not paying attention i that could be possible i'm just not paying enough attention to this and i'm losing the flow of what's going on in the story i don't, I don't know yeah it's it's always tricky with anything where they're hopping through time <laughs> and and different parties have their own agenda right because you're right it's like we see Renslayer and Miss Minutes, and they leave the handbook there. And you're like, okay, that's one thing that's going on, which is kind of, you know, this, I think this is the first time we see what they're up to, right, yeah. in, in this season. So it's like, oh, okay, they're doing something here. And then you kind of figure out pretty quickly, it's like, okay, they're giving it to a young version of this guy, and he's going to learn from this and grow into whatever they need him to be, you know. They're kind of on that. And then... On the other, you know, on the Loki side of things, okay, they're tracking down, and they're not necessarily going after uh, Renslayer particularly, although, you know, maybe that's a mission like in the back of their minds. Like you said, it's like, we need, we need the entity that knows how all this stuff works, <laughs> right? And can maybe get us around any blocked doors that we need to bypass. So they kind of assume they're working together, so they go there, and they're after them. And then... There's the whole thing with, with Timely. We get, we get a bit with him doing his whole show and presentation, and then people are after him. So I can see how it's like it's kind of going in different directions. I can see the, how that's also hard to follow. And then once they get there, of course, they're like, oh, this guy has the same genetics. <laughs> we can just use him. We don't need Miss Minutes anymore. Her it's like, that's it, right? And that's smart. Like an unexpected bonus. It's like, oh, we, we've got what we need. This is, we'll go straight to the source. This guy can give us access to everything. Because they get separated and because we get time with Miss Minutes and Renslayer and Timely, it's like it kind of separates off again. So, yeah, it's there's a lot going on, right? And they're trying to give us more background to these characters. So I can see, for me, I was kind of like, okay, I was going along with the ride on this one a little bit better. <laughs> but I can see how it's, yeah, it's kind of the same as the last episode too, where there are these different plot threads happening at the same time. I think what I would have done differently is I would have had Loki and Mobius have a conversation about why they thought Miss Minutes was there right at the beginning instead of talking about 
Balder the Brave have a conversation about what is she doing in 1893 and have them do some analysis. I think that would have grounded us in where they're still hunting for Miss Minutes. They know Miss Minutes, you know, because Loki saw her in the castle at, uh, in, at the end of time. They know Miss Minutes is connected with He Who Remains. So he, I think there should have been some conversation about why is she here and, and at least grounding them in their analytical abilities, which is very good, or it, at least it has been in the past. Both of them are excellent at analyzing motivations and outcomes. I would have liked to have seen that. And then the same thing happen when we meet Timely. Why are they here for this guy? And have a, just a little bit of conversation analyzing those two things. I think that would have grounded, not only would have been consistent with their characters, but it would have grounded us as the consumers of the story as to how things are changing, why they're there, what's going on, and how things are changing. Yeah, that's a great note. And it's something I think we've we've talked about before, maybe with this, where I think I feel like the the writers are creating these stories, right? And it's it's clear in their head what's going on. Right? They 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 know they know everything that's happening, what the characters are doing. And there's a there's maybe a lot of respect for the viewer to like keep up with things that are happening. Right? What's this character's doing what that character's doing and maybe it would be better if they had a little less respect for the viewer and reiterated things for a few times this is uh, this is the thing that we said last time i think was you know remind the viewer what the goals are of the characters right and it's a new episode you know and it's a, a week later it's like you may not have remembered exactly everything that happened last week and even with the summaries you missed some of the details. So having having a little bit of reminder dialogue in there, like you said, would help the flow. It doesn't even have to be, you know, overt exposition. It can be, why is Miss Minutes in 1893? What made her choose to, to yeah. come here? And so then, then, the, then the viewer will remember, oh, right, Miss Minutes knows about the TVA. That's why we're after her. I, I think that's what I'm kind of talking about there is even just, that's just the slightest touch of exposition but it's still very consistent with the characters to stop and ask the question. What is your takeaway as a writer? For me, again, it, fo it follows on what we said last, last week. Focus, <laughs> right? Like, I, f I feel like this episode was a little more focused, right? All of, all of our characters came together in the same place and same time, mostly. <laughs> and we got to see them interacting. So it brought the plot lines together a bit. Um, even though it kind of then branched out again. So that's one thing. And I would, I would now, you know, discussing this more with you, I would also take away the thing we just discussed, which is having little reminders of what's going on in your story. And I think this is important for novels, especially, where, you know, you're halfway through the novel, you're, you know, trying to introduce twists and turns, maybe, and you have, you know, A plot, B plot, whatever, you know, sub subplots going on. It's a, it's a good thing to have your characters every once in a while just do what you said. Ask a question. So what are we doing now? <laughs> right? Like, what's, that didn't work. You know, our plan to do this thing, you know, you say it, failed. Now what are we going to do? I mean, you don't have to be that overt. But it's good to have those reminders 
throughout the story to keep the reader or the viewer grounded as to what's going on. I think yeah. that's a, for me, that's a good, good takeaway. And uh, mine is exactly the same. My note is keep the objectives clear. Yeah, that's crucial. And I, I, like I said, I think if, if you were watching this, maybe episode, 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 back to back to back, it wouldn't be as, as difficult to follow. Perhaps we get this sometimes in our local critique group where, because we'll submit excerpts to each other. Right. And then we'll review those excerpts and it's maybe a chapter or a scene or, you know, 10 pages, something like this. And if, if you're doing that for novels, every two weeks, however often, you know, your group meets for us, it's two weeks. Even if you're, even if someone who's writing the story is submitting an excerpt every two weeks, you know, two weeks have gone by, you know, you're, you're doing other stuff with your life. And then it's like, you're reading another excerpt from your story. It's like, wait, what was going on in this story again? So it's good to have that in a, in a, in a novel. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to do it that frequently, but it is valuable to keep the readers focus on what's happening. And we thank you for joining us as we talked about the story told in Loki. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters and all our subscribers. We're so grateful for your support and your encouragement. The Stories Told podcast is available on multiple podcast platforms, and we thank you for liking and subscribing and following, depending on where you are listening. It may not be a big deal to you, but it means a lot to us. You can find Michael Grayford at michaelgrayford.com and E.W. Barnes at thousandyears.com, and those links are in the show notes. Join us next time as we discuss the story told in Loki, Season 2, Episode 4. Thank you so much, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm enjoying this. And we'll see you next time on the Stories Told Podcast. <laughs>